0: This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bauerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control.
1: Hello, and welcome to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other artistic athletes. I'm Jennifer Milner, here with co-host Dr. Linda Bluestein.
0: Before we introduce today's guests, we'd first like to remind you about how you can help us help you. First, subscribe to the Bendy Bodies podcast and leave us a review. This is helpful for raising awareness about hypermobility and associated disorders. Second, share the Bendy Bodies podcast with your friends, family, and providers. We really appreciate you helping us grow our audience in order to make a meaningful difference. This podcast is for you.
1: Our guest today is Jill Miller, co-founder of TuneUp Fitness Worldwide and creator of the self-care fitness formats Yoga TuneUp and the Role Model Method. She has studied extensively the links between fitness, yoga, massage, athletics, and pain management. Her unique self-care fitness programming has been adopted by Global Gym Chains Equinox, 24 Hour Fitness, Yoga Works, and integrated into clinical practice and athletic facilities across the globe. Jill is the former anatomy columnist for Yoga Journal magazine and featured in multiple publications, including The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, O, Shape women's health, and featured on the Today Show and Oprah Winfrey Network. Hi, Jill, and welcome to Bendy Bodies. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We are so glad you came on to share your wisdom with us. Now, you have very generously shared a lot about your own struggles in health on social media. For those listeners who are just discovering you, can you give them a little background?
2: I have always had a bendy body, and it's really exciting to actually be on a podcast called Bendy Body. So I just want to <laughs> do it, first of all, a reverse, like mega thank you for welcoming me here. Um, awesome. I have been consuming your media for quite some time and become extremely educated and um, and identified uh, n- a number of times by listening to your podcast. So, uh, just thank you for being here. But um, yes, I have had a number of of health struggles that all seemed to be completely unrelated to one another until I started going down the rabbit hole of the researchers that were really identifying these, uh, these connective tissue um, connective tissue at their origin traits that seem to be blooming uh, a number of different buds. And I, I got lots of buds in my body that fit into this tree. <laughs> um, the most recent really is that I had an early hip replacement, had a total hip replacement at mm. age 46, oh boy. Oh, now I can't remember. 45 or 46. I think it was 45. Yeah. Early hip replacement, age 45. And, um, and I had been a yoga professional for decades prior to that. And my, um, my journey with uh, the hip replacement, it, you know, really puzzled me. It just absolutely confounded me when I, when I, when I got the images, because I wasn't really living in, um, crippling pain. I was able to move relatively well. Um, I had the red herring was my tensor uh, would have a recurrent spasm about once every seven weeks, but I could usually um, train myself out of that pain. But because of the frequency and the repetition of this pain, I thought, well, maybe I've got a labral tear. And so I, I finally got imaging once I had um, had my second son and was about a year and a half into Uh, nursing him. I just didn't want, I didn't want to have any imaging until I knew that I had given my son as much life as I possibly could. And then when I had the imaging, they were like, well, what labrum? Um, Because I was bone on bone, uh, Mm. osteophytes everywhere. Mm. I'm looking at my bone right here, actually, because it lives on my desk. I'm that, I'm that person. Who kept her bone. can you for, show it to us oh sure yes it's in its little Ooh. carafe it's in the oh little my containers. gosh we love we wow. love show and tell <laughs> that's awesome well thank you for appreciating i us. mean it's
0: not awesome but you know <laughs> what I
2: mean. yeah it's pretty crazy to think there's a piece of me sitting over there um and that i have uh, a really cool uh, prosthesis that that gives yeah. me a, a terrific range of motion and with uh no, really, no risk of having to do a repair at any point in my life, um, mm. but I was really, I was really shocked that I had end stage osteoarthritis and that nothing could be done. And um, when I went in to my orthopedist, you know, I got an appointment with a great orthopedist in Los Angeles who has a very novel approach called the direct superior approach. And you know, he came into the room, I lay down on the table for the exam. After he said hello. And then he said, When do you want to schedule? Like before he even did his assessment, just based on my images, his next words to me were, When do you want to schedule? And then when he did the assessment and he circumducted my hip, he just said, Oh, there's your pre existing condition right there. And um, I still get really emotional when I think about that moment, because really what he was saying is that my hypermobility was my pre existing condition. Mm-hmm. And Whereas my right hip, which also is hypermobile, wasn't arthritic and is, is fine. So um, there, you know, there was a cam deformation in that left hip and there was probably some, some manner of birth defect that I certainly ran to the ground in the first 45 years of living. And being hypermobile gave me an advantage in the art forms that I loved, which is dance and yoga um, and lots of crazy types of movement. But that's a little bit about that part of the story. But, you know, I could have also not told the story. And when I, you know, I'm, I have a, a company that uh, our, part of our branding is self-care fitness. I teach fascial rolling. I'm a huge advocate for self-care healthcare and for educating people about their anatomy and um, doing safe mobility and all the things. And here I was. Coming to this condition that I was living with, um, ignorant of this whole time, and I, one of one of the many uh, things I teach people is about your body blind spots and getting to know yourself. And it's like, how could I not know I had this decrepit, falling apart body part? And so mm-hmm. it there was a lot of um, questioning and um, ego assessing, and also. Mm-hmm. Did I really know who I was? And there were some identity issues that came up for me big time with it. But um, really one, I mean, I've got lots of stories I can tell about it, but one of the, I think one of the big stories for me about it is that I was living with this decrepit hip and I was living with it relatively pain-free for a very long time. Meaning the practices that I cultivated and curated were keeping me healthy, vibrant, mobile, uh, able to have two children at late age. So I, I have to look at, I, I wanted to be able to share that what I do, you know, my path of teaching is not about pain avoidance, but wow, this pain mitigation work I teach, it really works.
1: That is really interesting. So I, if I, if I'm hearing you correctly, you were already on this path of teaching the full body rolling and you had done a, a lifelong study of yoga and, and sort of were already on that path. And then you had this huge thing that popped up and said, hey, guess what? And you thought, well, maybe I don't know my body as well as I did and, and causes this crisis of identity, which is so common in performing artists, right? When your body is part of your instrument. And then for you, when you've been teaching, and saying, hey, I know these things and here is here are good things to do, know your body, everything you were saying. And then this pops up and you have to kind of process through all of that. But then at the end of that, you realize that what you had been doing actually had been helping, like you said, not pain avoidance, but pain mitigation. Um, yeah. And it sounds like that's what kind of led you to share your story, which is so important so that other people can, can have that same path.
2: And I was also concerned that um, I wanted the teachers that I've trained, I mean, we have 500 teachers I've licensed worldwide, and we've taught hundreds of thousands of people around the globe. I wanted them to feel secure that the techniques that I was teaching weren't the things that led me into a hip replacement condition. That the things that I'd been teaching over the last 12 years were truly a therapeutic Modality, and that mm-hmm. I really think the things that led to the hip replacement, you know, were doing things like straddle splits where I'd hear an audible pop every day, rolling through right. my pelvis like I was on solid gold, wrapping both my <laughs> legs behind my head, and then interlacing <laughs> my, my hands in between them, literally tying myself up into articulate knots via my right. joints and connective tissues. Living at end range uh, is certainly a dead end. And, and I discovered that um, and you know, I really stopped practicing that way in my early 30s and started doing this, created this program called Yoga Tune Up so that I would not end up disarticulating myself and disintegrating inside my own body as I, I was going that way.
0: It, it, sounds like, it sounds like up until your surgery, you were functioning at a really pretty high level actually. Which, oh, yes, absolutely. Which, is, which is amazing. So, cause I mean, a lot of people, you know, their level of activity before they have a total hip replacement, you know, is going to decline quite dramatically. And then if they go into surgery being deconditioned and, you know, um, you know, having a lot less muscle mass, the outcomes are not as good. So that's really amazing that that was able to, that was, that was your prehab program. You didn't intend for
2: it to be a prehab program per se, but it definitely worked as one. Absolutely. And, and once I got the diagnosis and I knew I was heading towards surgery, I was extremely um, disciplined about making sure that I really observed my mechanics and that I kept loading the hip. I wanted to make sure I maintained as much muscle mass as possible and even grew new muscle mass going into surgery so that I'd have a, a a shorter recovery.
1: So smart. So smart. Um, And I want to get back to that, but first I want to Put, push the pause button on your personal journey, talk about one of my favorite topics, um, fascia. So let's let's geek out on this for a second. What what is fascia and why is it important? Okay. <laughs> you want the three minute version, the 30 second
2: version, or the, the three-hour hour, version? The 30 hour version. Right. Um, so fascia is your seam system. It is the web which is a a very highly used word in the fashion world it is your structural web that connects all of your parts together it is the living threads that connect bit to bit to bit and suspend all of your parts within you it's a um it's the part of you even though it's all of you it's the part of you that allows for differential movement to occur so i'm going to sort of shuttle this towards movers it's the part of you that allows tissues to to glide over one another and to have stretch relative to from one structure to another so if we think of it in terms of muscles which is always one of the easiest ways to think about fascia it's that whitish extensible stuff that allows muscles to shift and shimmy next to each other. But within a muscle itself, you also have moving parts within a muscle. You have fascicles that also need to glide internally. And then you have muscle cells that also are wrapped in their own fascia that also allow for differential movement within the deeper and deeper structures of a muscle. So we have this constantly connecting web that goes from cell to skin, from toe to face, from organ to, to bone and back again. And your fascia is, as I mentioned, it's living. So it is constantly regenerating itself, uh, just like all your body parts turn over. And the, the main cell of your fascia are known as the fibroblasts and the fibroblasts tend to the web. They create collagen and elastin. They also destroy those same structures um, in order to maintain uh, the loads that you place on yourself, either from inside or from outside. And so your web is constantly adapting to loads and environment. Uh, Your fascia is also extremely nerve rich, in fact, There's new Mm -hmm. research that points to the fact that there are 250 million sensory neurons embedded in your fascial tissues. So we can say that our fascial tissues are a really important organ for us in terms of gaining proprioception and interoception. So it really is a tissue that helps us to connect its way, to connect us to our nervous system's perception of ourselves. Uh, I believe it was A.T. Still, the founder of osteopathy that that said that fascia connects, us, connects all the branches of medicine together. And so when you start to learn about fascia, you get all interested in lymph, you get all interested in vasculature, you get all interested in muscle, and of course you get interested in the nervous system and motion and movement.
1: Absolutely, I it's something that I talk about in my practice a lot um, and I will, I will tell my, my dancers, you can either consider that your body has 600 muscles or you can consider your body has one muscle and 600 pockets <laughs> and those different pockets are within the fascia, but they are all so connected with how they move. And, you know, Tom Myers fascial trains and all of that. Um, it's so interesting when you start looking at moving from a fascial perspective and where you can get stuck up and down that line of fascia, um, when you look at the, the IT band before it's all kind of, before the fascia kind of cleaned away in the dissection and you think about how big and wide it actually is. And it's not just that narrow strip that a lot of times is seen in the dissection, but that it is so tightly interwoven with your lateral quad and your lateral hamstring. And um, from a very practical movement point of view, having an understanding of fascia and and being able to think of releasing your body from a fascial level before you even try to do muscular stretching um, is so important. So I love that, that you sort of did a dive deep into that. What, what started you on that journey? Was it, were were you thinking my body is so bendy, but no matter how much I stretch, I still feel tight. What else could it be like? What, what started you down that?
2: Um, Well, my father's an infectious disease doctor. And so, Uh, Luckily, I grew up around the language of the body, and especially the language of the diseased body, and microbes, and this is something that I have an insatiable passion for. I mean, just before we got on, I was listening to yet another medical podcast about the coronavirus (laughs) um, and its mutations. Um, I I just have an uh, an insatiable desire to... um, hear people talk about cells and body parts. And I think it's from listening to my dad do call out when I was a kid. Um, So I'm probably heard the term fascia from him at some point because of some type of fascial disease or infection. But how I really started to learn about it functionally was probably around age 19 when I met my yoga teacher and bodywork mentor, Glenn Black who is, and I can I can say this on podcasts, he's a yoga recluse, he doesn't have a website. Um, he's not the type of person that likes to, to get lots of emails or press. Um, he is really a, a, a movement genius, but he's a very, very private person. I met him while I was teaching, at, or excuse me, while I was working at the Omega Institute for Holistic Studies during college. Um, during my summers in college at Northwestern, I would go out and stay and live on their property and do work study for the people coming in to take workshops with people like Deepak Chopra and Ram Dass and all those sorts of of folks. And Glenn talked about fascia. He was a body worker. And I think this was also a a really big uh, theme within the rolfing community. Glenn wasn't a rolfer, but he studied a lot with a chiropractor as well as with His teacher, who was a physiotherapist out of Russia, named Shmuel Tots, who created a, a he branded his form of of physio here in the U.S. called Body Tuning. And actually Yoga Tune Up pays um, homage to the lineage of body work that I I came from through Glenn. And so Glenn would talk about fascia, and Glenn would talk about ligaments, and Glenn would talk about tendons. And I started to get, um, I would say, my embodiment started to get indoctrinated with medical terminology or clinical terminology while in practice. And then we would also, part of his classes were uh, not just yoga poses, but articulations. We did a lot of articulations, now called uh, controlled articular rotations or controlled articular movements, but we just called them articulations back then. And we would also do bodywork on each other to help with proprioception. If he wasn't really happy with how we were doing triangle pose, then he would have us get down on the ground and massage each other's quadratus lumborums or our gluteus mediuses. And he would take us through the anatomy with our fingers or with our heels or our elbows or whatever technique he was teaching us. And he would talk about connective tissue. So that was really my entry into that as a, a functional thing. And then fast forward years later, I ended up uh, reading lots of materials. Of course, I read Anatomy Trains. And then I started going into the lab with Gil Headley, who is mm-hmm. a wonderful humanist and anatomist and a great- Love his, yeah. Yeah, he slept right here in this bed behind, this is a <laughs> Murphy bed. Um, and so I was able to go into the lab and start to do dissections with him um, and continue to study with him to this day. And I work with Tom Myers now. Tom and I have a, a program we're actually launching in just a couple of months called Rolling Along the Anatomy Train. So wow. my, the genesis really went from being a student of my body, um, getting familiar with the terminology, um, then becoming letting that insatiable hunger to learn more, um, do labs, excuse me, I skipped over a huge part here, which is getting involved with the fascia research community. and my first fascial research Congress in 2012, I was very bold and I was like, well, I'm going to submit a case report. And they accepted my case report. And I ended up presenting a poster on a student of mine who had Shark murray tooth disease or hereditary sensory motor neuropathy, mm-hmm. not EDS, but boy, do they present like an EDS patient. And I really learned a lot about extreme um, hypermobility from this student that I worked with for nine years, but his transformation was what I submitted uh, to the, the heads of fascia research congress, and that presentation um, really empowered me to make allies in the fascia research space and find really find my friends, this this whole new community of fascia pioneers, researchers, movement pros that. Um, really use fascia as an organizing principle for their work.
1: So connect the dots for me from connective tissue, fascia, everybody has it, yada, yada. Why should bendy bodies in particular be concerned about fascia and be looking into their fascia? Well, how it moves? <laughs> this is the
2: best question. So <laughs> look, your, your fascia is adaptable, right? We, Bendy people, they like to stretch. They like to stretch either because it needs to be performative or they like to stretch because the stretch, when you stretch, there are some wonderful neurological changes that help to dampen sympathetic outflow, that help to promote um, parasympathetic state. It chills our anxious minds down. And um, I come from a place where. This for me, the stretch really was my addiction. It was the thing I used instead of Xanax to help me downregulate, and that's just a really big part of my my personality. And unfortunately, I overdid it, and that's part of part of my legacy. But what the bendy body community needs to know is that you know, fascia, your connective tissues, they have an end range, and that stretch barrier really needs to be respected. Unfortunately, when you have um, conditions within the hypermobility spectrum, you don't always get that feedback that you're blowing past a safe range or that you're moving in a way that is going to destabilize your ability to contract well and hold your body together. And so it's those fascial tissues and all those sensory nerve endings that I mentioned a moment ago, that when they are moved beyond beyond a certain point, they will break, they will rupture and you will create micro tears and it becomes more and more difficult to move well, the more you create these micro injuries. Your connective tissue does not heal fast. Muscle cells repair really quickly. They repair in about 24 hours, but your connective tissues take two or three times that. And so if you're doing this every single day, stretching beyond end range, there will be a breaking point. You have to give your body time to heal and recover unless you're um, mobilizing, dancing, stretching, or yoga-ing really in, in safe ranges for the majority of your, of your practice. Um, and so the more we can honor and respect that stretch barrier, our fascial tissues that are there to hold us together, um, we, you know, we may be doing ourselves harm un- unknowingly. And I certainly was, and I, we talked offline right beforehand, Uh, I wish I had known certain things 25, 35 years ago. Um, and maybe I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have thought it an achievement to put my legs behind my head.
1: (laughs) That, that was such a fantastic response. (laughs) Thank you so much. That was, there was, there's a lot in there that I'm going to be, I think, going back to listen to again, because that was really terrific. Um, thank you for that. I, um, I know that you were a contributing author to fascia function and medical application book. And what should our listeners know about your chapter and about the book in general? So the book fascia function and medical applications is a compendium
2: of 20 chapters that David Lazondak and Dr. Um, Angelie Akey put together for Taylor and Francis publishing group. Um, there isn't a modern text on the medical application or uh, on functional functional fascia applications in the medical space. And so they gathered together uh, researchers and experts. And I'm just going to look at the table of contents here because there are so many different topics just to let you know um, what these topics range from. Um, Some are actually specific applications like uh, Antonio Stecco and his sister Carla Stecco are some of the most notable fascia researchers in the world. So they talk about their technique called fascial manipulation. There's a chapter on scar tissue management. There is exercise and fascial movement therapy for cancer survivors. Mm -hmm. And then there's chapters on anatomy. So there's uh, a biotensegrity chapter, which is uh, basically a new theory on how your fascia behaves as a tensional network in your body, the fascia in walking, innervation of fascia, fascia in the circulatory system, hormonal effects of fascia in women. And then my chapter is on self uh, clinical foundations and applications for self-myofascia release with balls, rollers, and tools, because I am a self-massage expert. And so I wrote a chapter on the current research, which there's not a lot, Believe it or not, um, really, only in the last 20 years have there been just slightly over 100 papers that are peer-reviewed and in um, in medical journals covering self-myofascial release and um, looking at different variables. And so, I covered that that sort of the current state of research, and you know, produced this chapter and learned a lot. That's that's so
0: interesting. I know that in the um, medical world. People will talk about myofascial pain, mm-hmm. but even myself being diagnosed with myofascial pain years ago, never thought about the fascia component of that. Uh,
1: and it was, and so. it was,
0: and it was not really explained to me either. And I've had physical therapy many times and have had myofascial release in physical therapy, but again, the fascial part of, of that, even the, first of all, there was no real teaching of how how you can do this on yourself and or why this is so important um and and also the regulation like you said i had somebody who did not respect my end range it was kind of like oh wow look what you can do not realizing that just because it can go there doesn't mean that it
2: should go there um so i paid for that for a while afterwards for sure so yeah yeah so there's so much to respond to and what you said you know, one thing that I didn't mention when we were talking about, well, what is fascia? One thing I think that's helpful for anybody to understand, especially the, the bendy bodies folks is that, you know we have different um, qualities of fascia throughout our body. So we can think of fascia in layers. And by the way, using the layered approach is very controversial in the fascia space, but I find that it's very easy for people to comprehend, um, to comprehend this. So. On the right underneath your skin, you have a really spongy, springy layer of, of fascia. Most people just call this fat. This is the adipose that really gives your body its form, its shape. People identify you by this fatty layer, but these fat cells are, are, are twined um, and sprung and held in place by all the different collagen and elastin vectors, the, the fabric of the fascia. But we also have lots of lymph vessels here. We have wonderful circulation we have nerves and so on Um, and the superficial fascia which is this this most superficial layer um, because it is so nerve rich and um, uh, helps us with proprioception um, and also when we do specific light touch applications to the superficial fascia it also really affects our autonomic nervous system it can be the gateway to um, deeply relaxing nervous system um calming down one's heart rate calming down the breath pace allowing you to to actually feel your feelings so this is like one of those places that where we really encounter um, that soft side of ourselves and our vulnerability and um, i don't know about you one of my other entry points into all of this was my own hatred of that layer so that body fat layer was something that in dance at the time when I was in college and extremely insecure, we did not like that. And I was bulimic. And so um, for me, this superficial layer has been really a work in process and a work in progress in being able to accept um, the, all the parts of me, including the squishy, you know, gummy, runny, gummy, runny bits. Um, so in our culture, this is a broader sort of statement that I'm gonna make, but our culture maligns superficial fascia in a big way, but it doesn't call it superficial fascia, it just calls it fat. So it's interesting that this, this you know, nobody, a lot of people don't know the term fascia, but they certainly know um, the other term. And then we have uh, this transition transition zone of fascia between the superficial fascia and what uh, Jennifer was describing, you know, the IT band. The IT band is it's a deep fascia, but it's also something more complex. It's known as an aponeurosis. It's actually a big, broad tendon, right? Your IT band is the, it's the tendon of the gluteus maximus. It's the tendon of the tensor fasciae latae, um, but it, it also is a, a deeper fascia structure. Um, and you can feel it. You can feel it's it's strippiness, it's, how, it's, it's thin and it's tough. And many of our deeper fascial our deep fascial structures have an orientation that make it look like what's known as like the wetsuit, right? It like it's, it form fits to the muscles. It's not lobbly and bubbly like your superficial fascia, but in between the deep and the superficial, we have this loose fascial transition zone, and this transition zone is a membranous zone. Um, sometimes it's called a fascial interface. Sometimes it's called perifascia. fascia. Um, the uh, it's interesting. The nomenclature around it is still. Um, loose, it's still not totally set, um, but a lot of the the nerves that you're talking about with myofascial pain syndrome, a lot of the nerve endings are really peppered in this loose fascial zone, in this membranous zone, and so when we think about treatment, you know, maybe rubbing really hard and like really aggravating all these cells and all these nerves in in these understanding the layers helps us to decide how to apply pressure um, and what are best practices for our clients that are bendy, um, but also our bendy people, as you know, are going to have certain spots in their body that are holding it together for the rest of everything. And so we need to have different applications for not only the different types of fascia on our body, but also the different locuses that we rely on to hold it all together for us.
0: That makes sense. That, that's, a, that's a great explanation and um, that's, that's fabulous. And in terms of your, your yoga work, if we can kind of transition over to that, um, I know sometimes people that are bendy are told that they should not be practicing yoga. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what yoga
2: is and how it has influenced your health? Well, I wouldn't say that I practice yoga either. I, I had to step away from the way I was practicing and that's why I actually created Yoga Tune Up, so that I could focus more on proprioception. I could focus more on what my, my joints were doing or weren't doing um, because I think yoga has best practices within it that I think any bendy body or any human can really benefit from. And some of the best practices that come out of yogas in general are uh, they're so great at stoking the parasympathetic nervous system and providing um, relaxation, downregulation, um, and there's really a beautiful art around their breath, uh, You know, d- different types of breathing approaches. Um, and you can see that across the spectrum in different tribes of yoga because yogas have come through many different lineages. And so not all yoga is the same. So it's very hard to answer your question. What is yoga? Um, my favorite answer to that is um, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. It'll come to me by the end of the podcast. <laughs> but a colleague that uh, we did a, a lecture series many years ago in Toronto, and she said, "Yoga is whatever you say it is." Um, that was that was her had, how she wants people to redefine yoga. It's whatever you say it is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, I think I think yoga can be extremely dangerous for people that are hypermobile, that like to hang out in end range, and that aren't. Um, that are bypassing their own proprioceptive feedback, bypassing it through overstretching or bypassing it by using breath techniques that can really make you zone out um, or bypassing it using um, uh, sort of tr- even trance-like music that can disembody you, that can help you to disassociate rather than to integrate. And so, mm. you know, I'm, I'm coming to you i'm like i literally come back from the dead to to report this to you because i think that can be a very controversial statement if i speak to i used to be so die hard in the yoga space like to say that to me would have been extremely offensive but there are mechanisms i think with that are embedded in yoga culture that can help people to actually really grow into themselves but i think that if used improperly you can really dissociate and literally disassemble yourself Um, From Mm -hmm. end to end, if you don't have the anatomical correct anatomical education, Mm because a lot of the yoga um, clans rely on mystical anatomy and not accurate anatomy, and Mm -hmm. that's part of what I kind of like to work on correcting. Sure, I I actually know a
0: this is going to sound like a strange combination, he is a neurosurgeon. And a functional medicine doctor and a yoga instructor.
2: Oh! <laughs> oh! Wow! <laughs> I, I want to yeah. take his classes. Yeah. When I first <laughs> right. and, and
0: actually he um, he gave me I, I he he wanted to create a program for people with EDS, and he said, "Do you, do you have a patient that I could try this out on?" And I said. Me, you know, okay. <laughs> try it out on me. So, um, he ha- yeah. he he walked me through the program that he was that he was doing, and and he and then he gave a talk at um, the local hospital on yoga and medical applications of yoga. And your answer and his answer, like I feel like, aligned perfectly. They're maybe from slightly different perspectives, but that's what he said: is that it. It's turned into so many different things, so many different ways of practicing. So it's, it's kind of like, I'm trying to think of what would be a good example. If you say bread, obviously now you have gluten-free bread and you have wheat bread and you have white bread and you have, you know, whereas it used to be that you just had like wonder bread and, you know, there's uh, so Sadly. many different, yeah, yeah, so many different practices. So that's super interesting.
2: And I'll say one other thing about the hyper mobile community and yoga. I mean, we are lauded. In yoga classrooms, we're used as the example. Mm-hmm. We're used as the model. Um, I would say that a lot of really successful yoga teachers have a certain range of mobility that is supernatural, mm-hmm. and that that there might be, um, you know, they're they may have success because of their mobility, because it looks like they're doing these geometrical poses that we see in old yoga textbooks and that are show-stopping and jaw-dropping and carnivalesque. And that is a tool, just like I see you know, the arabesque behind you. you. know, There's a tool in, in the image that will draw in uh, students, aspirational students. And, um, and then if you're somebody like me who I mean, there was no end to my flexibility. Teachers could just like, they could lay on top of me and I'd be doubled over in a pose called Paschimottanasana, just a forward bend. And it just, there's just no end to the the gumminess, but this is not a longevity strategy. And um, it feels really good. I mean, it feels really fun. And you, you certainly get to planes of awareness, potentially because you're dissociating that are um, kind of thrilling and drug-like, but, would I have stopped, you know, at age 21, if someone said, you're killing yourself? Like, I don't, I don't know that I would have heard that. What,
0: what would you like to go back and tell yourself at, at that age that you think maybe would, what what you just said just now was, was, was fabulous about the, about not having longevity in that. But is there um, Mm. verbiage that you think would
2: have resonated with you back at that time? I honestly, I think well, I'll say this now, but if I had known as much as I know about fascia at, this, at that early age, if I had known about um, joint capsules and if I had known about um, ligaments in, in the way that I know about them now, I might've made some different decisions, but mm-hmm. I, I, didn't, I just didn't know enough about, about those parts of my body. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I knew that they stretched, those parts stretched. And then if you held them long enough, they'd stretch longer. Right, <laughs> mm-hmm. not
1: a longevity strategy. Right, it's that it's that tricky place of how do we word things for the next generation that is going to be heard. Um, I know there were there are so many things that if somebody had said something to me, you know, when I was fourteen, and people would say, "Well, you got to warm up," I'm like, "No, I don't. <laughs> I'm doing just fine," you know. And I think if my thirty year old self had come back and said, "You need to warm up," I would have been like, "Okay, thanks," you know. Bye. Um, so it's that giving them that education, that practical knowledge to go with it and, and something to show for it. You know, when I, when I talk to dancers and I teach about um, injury prevention, I say the only people that come to injury prevention workshops are the people who have already been injured. That's right. But if you relabel it as a performance enhancement workshop, yes. <laughs> then everybody comes, yes. you know? So, so trying to talk to the younger generation, not just to don't do that, but hey, let's do this instead and you will feel better. You will still be a beautiful stretcher. You know, just, I think so much of it is how we word it and make yes. it applicable to who they are at that moment.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think about this a lot with my daughter, she's six and she's a, a budding gymnast and I'm, I'm just seeing it now. She's so much stronger than I ever was. I mean, she can do pull-ups. I can't even do a pull-up now. I, I mean, to- <laughs> come on. And I watch her coach, her coaches, I, I don't interfere but her coach is very good at this point. And I I just hope that he's just building her step-by-step with strength, right? And then letting them have fun. But how about, you know, I can't imagine having gone to a yoga workshop in my mid twenties that said, that's title was strengthen your mid range. Like (laughs) that's what we need to do as hypermodal people is find pleasure in those gray zones of the mid range. And so I'm, I'm working on that right now as, a, as an entrepreneur, like as somebody who wants to make sure that I sell to the mainstream um, education that excites them about not being at their end range, that, that being able to perceive themselves in their body, no matter what position they're in. So I think this is something we all need to tackle collectively to really sell mid-range as sexy.
0: <laughs> oh I, I like that as a, as a new
2: quote mid-range is sexy <laughs> yeah mid-range is the new and the range. new sexy, the you new, sexy. Find a new edge your middle <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it I love it that's awesome yeah and whether you're hypermobile or not I think you know we tend to think that we're invincible at, at those ages and like like you said you think that you can just do whatever you want to your body and it's
2: you know, right. you, well, I do have this bone here, so I, I will use this on occasion. Like, and my, kids that know. Is I mean, my kids know about the scar, and we talk about how I got it. And so, I just hope that just living, you know, that I can be a living, you know, museum for them so that the <laughs> good choices as they go forward. But I'm, I'm also here to, to help guide that.
1: Awesome. Well, and I don't. I don't think that mid range, ha- it's an either or, you know, you don't have to say mm-hmm. mid range is the new sexy, like yeah. this is where we're going to stay. But if you right. can't do something in your mid range, how can you expect to do it well and correctly in your end range, right? So if you can't do a single pirouette, why are you pushing so hard to do four? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, Jill, I would
0: love to hear more about your fascial rolling. Your, your own health journey led you to fascial rolling and developing the role model. Yes. And can you tell us about your best selling book, The Role Model, a step by step guide to erasing pain,
2: improve mobility, and live better in your body? Yes. I love talking about balls, Linda. <laughs> so, I have a, a, a set of four different sized soft pliable rubber balls, and let me restate that, soft, pliable rubber balls um, that have a ton of grip to them, that grip a hold of your skin, that uh, help to shear these different fascial layers that we were talking about, that guide you or that you use to guide towards different tissue targets for proprioceptive awareness, for uh, improvements in mobility, for pain mitigation, for self-treatment. Um, this came about because I started learning massage really early in my movement career with, I started studying shiatsu. When I was in college, I saw an open house, a sign for an open house at a shiatsu school. And when I was 18, I started studying shiatsu massage. And, um, in terms of self-practice, the first deep self-massage stuff I started doing, Um, had to do with my gut and had to do with my bulimia. Um, I was really struggling in Pilates classes and dance classes at my school. I was in the performing arts and I really had a hard time with this concept of center. So I'm, I'm gonna get to the book but there's a little bit of a story here. So I really had a hard time with the concept of center. Teachers always talked about center, move from your center. And then of course, Pilates, uh, Pilates mat classes were offered, which was amazing way back when I had a teacher named Juanita Lopez. She was with a, with um, the Joffrey and her teacher was Romana. And I would go to class twice a week and I never got sore, never got sore in my core. And my roommate who was pre-med at the time, she would come with me to these Pilates classes. And she was always dying, just in agony in her abdomen, every class. And I was like, I don't know what she's doing wrong, or what I'm maybe what I'm doing wrong, but um, the bulimia that I was dealing with was allowing me to just completely bypass my middle, and I confessed to a yoga teacher at the time. I guess I must have also gone to yoga classes in the city, and I remember telling a yoga teacher that I couldn't feel my my center and that I was bulimic. I knew these things were connected, and so she told me to lay down face down on this. Um, bean bag, this is like bean bag that looked like a hamburger bun. It was a prop from the Ayangar yoga uh, lineage, this little bean bag. And she said, lay down it face down on your belly and breathe into it. And I put the bean bag on my abdomen, on my navel, and I laid face down. And I started to feel, and I started to feel agony. I started to feel intense visceral pain. And I started to feel my emotions. I started to feel everything that I had been avoiding. I knew that part of my healing would, I would have to confront directly um, what had been doing to my body and also the feelings that I was running away from in my body. And so I started to experiment with that on my own every day in my dorm room. I would roll up a towel um, and make it look like a honey bun or a hamburger bun. And I would move it around my abdomen and I would breathe. Um, And then years later, I started experimenting, not just with, with towels, but any little tool I could find, balls, rollers, um, hollow rubber. And eventually, very long story, married my husband, I was teaching a mix of yoga, uh, yoga tune up with balls. And he said, you should really brand this and you should teach other people to teach this. And so I used these tools both for the gut and then smaller rubber balls for the whole body um, to help people embody their body, improve proprioception and mobility, manage and treat their own pain um, and improve whatever movement practice it was relative to. Originally it was yoga tune-up. So it was helping people tune up their yoga, but I found that the role model work had no boundaries. And this is what took me into fascia research and took me into um, different branches within the clinical sphere from mental health professionals, to um, you know, clinical social workers or uh, somatic psychotherapists, trauma therapists, um, social workers work, work, working in group settings um, use the tools to help you know bring people into their bodies for whatever purpose they're using. Military, um, the police, fire service, college athletics, professional athletics. I mean, it's gone. It's gone all over the world now. We're in so many different places with this application of people learning to map their body, getting to know their fascia and using tools that really make a, a really big difference and don't do harm to themselves. So we call this rubber drugs and um, the balls have names. There's the gorgeous ball for the core. There's the alpha ball, which is our largest solid rubber ball. There's the therapy ball plus, and then there's the yoga tune-up balls, which were the first balls that I that I named. So they still have the name yoga tune-up, but they're not they have nothing to do with yoga. They're just grippy, pliable rubber balls. <laughs> I
0: love that. That's I, I. I tell people all the time that if you don't listen to your body, it's going to keep screaming louder and louder until you finally do. Um, but you're teaching people how to tune into their bodies in a way that can help with emotional healing and physical healing. That's that's really amazing.
2: Yeah, when I did a call for stories for my book. The role model, which was published in 2014, I did a, a call to action to you know our community of students and teachers, um, or people who have used our tools. The majority of the stories that came in were not about a painful knee or back pain. The majority of stories were about emotional regulation, mm. and I found that to be absolutely enthralling. That the biggest category that people were needing help with in terms of their suffering was their emotional stress and their emotional suffering. And that they found that the therapy balls had become a tool to help regain their sense of self. And then this byproduct, this other byproduct was that, oh yeah. And my back pain went away and, oh yeah, I sleep better at night after I roll my jaw or, oh, I got rid of my plantar fasciitis, but also, you know, I can, go on long walks with my husband now and you know just all the things all the things that's fabulous because with so many things a little bit is good but too much
0: can be problematic so this like is like stretching you yeah, and stretching <laughs> right right so
2: so not, that, and not too that much people, rolling too i mean you yeah, can overroll a, yeah, like, yeah you can overdo it
0: yeah you can probably overroll but it's kind of like you're not going to over meditate you know probably most people are not going to overroll um yeah there's I'm a sure. couple
2: that have yeah, <laughs> I have um, to sleep with them. I do not advocate sleeping with your balls, but one of them is my father, and so he's a doctor. He can prescribe putting the it helps him with his SI joint, so it helps him with his sciatic pain. So
1: go for it, Dad. You know whatever whatever works. Um, Jill, I just I love how your personal journey um, seemed to start at such an early age and trying to confront your eating disorder at an early age and having this sense from, from a very early time period of wanting to know more and wanting to figure out and wanting to do it right. And that's, that's such a blessing that that was just part of who you were and that you weren't, I mean, obviously, you you know, you had issues and, but then you started trying to address them and work through them. And I love how that sense of curiosity and also being determined to do it right. Um, has benefited so many people because you honestly were moving forward doing these things. And then you were like, oh, wait, that's not right. Because now I have to have a hip. Oh, wait, but that actually did help me. And so now I'm going to go tell more people about this. And just your personal journey um, is helping so many other people. And we're really grateful that, you are, that you're willing to share your story and the knowledge that you've gained as you've kind of researched your own way to um, health and stability. I love that.
2: Well, thank you, thank you. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot by listening to you all too. <laughs> oh. You've added to my journey uh, so <laughs> much. You've added a lot to it. That's
0: great. That's great. We, we we love putting together all of these different disciplines, and you know, there's so many different things that can be so useful for for all of us as human beings, and and human bodies, right? Um, was there anything else that we want, that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? And if you can also let people know where they can learn more about you and the work that you're doing.
2: Yeah, I would love to share uh, just a couple of programs that I have that are very comprehensive, that if you're really interested in learning about fascia and about rolling, um, that I think will really educate you at whatever level you wanna take it in at. First of all, our website, tuneupfitness.com, We produce very robust articles that have lots of free content, um, interviews with experts all over the world um, in different topics. There's one that's been very popular over the last year because of the pandemic. is on the vagus nerve. Um, This Mm -hmm. happens to be one of my most favorite topics, especially because I tie it in with respiration. Um, I have a whole training program around that called the Breath and Bliss Immersion that will be happening in March. We do that a few times a year, and we're doing it virtually now. Um, There's another uh, longevity program called Walking Well that I collaborated on with a friend of mine, Katie Bowman of Nutritious Movement. And she's uh, really in the the, the movement, movement spectrum, you know, no furniture in her house, barefoot, (laughs) barefoot all the time kind of thing. She's just amazing. She lives lives, uh, off of Washington, but she's an incredible educator, especially around biomechanics. And we created this program called Walking Well that really addresses the walk. Um, bit by bit. And I do rollouts, and she pairs those with movements. And, and the reason I, I, I mentioned this is one of the things I learned in my hip recovery was that I had actually danced and yogaed a natural walk out of my body at a very early age. And so my walk was very unnatural due to the hypermobility that I, I generated along with whatever genetic conditions might be there. We'll find out someday, right, Linda? Um, <laughs> exactly. But. Um, so I think the walking well program is really educational and, and it, you can get enter at any level. You don't have to be an expert mover to do it. We, you know, I'm hoping my mother and and her friends, um, this is their entry point, but it's also very good for rehab. If you had a knee surgery or you had a, any joint replacements, very good. And then the other um, program that's coming up really soon that I think would be really interesting for your clinical followers is that rolling along the anatomy trains. Uh, program with myself and Tom Myers. It's almost nine hours of content where he does very rich, deep anatomy lectures. And then I teach movements and rollouts for each of the anatomy trains. And that's launching in April. You can always find me on my website, tuneupfitness.com, or I'm commonly found on Instagram with a handle at yoga tuneup. But we also have a brand page at tuneupfitness. So if you like giveaways, follow at Tune Up Fitness because I don't do giveaways on at Yoga Tune Up. You'll have to see pictures of my kids if you're on my page.
0: Well, that is fabulous. And we this has been such an informative episode, so much great, great content. And we really appreciate you sharing your personal journey and all of the incredible research that you've done, all the fabulous um, you know, programs that you've created and everything's really, really great, really great work that you're doing.
2: So thank thank you. you, Linda. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm excited to interact with your community and you can just shoot me questions about fascia and rolling <laughs> and all of that uh, through either one of those places that I mentioned. Sounds Absolutely. great. We will,
0: we will definitely do that. Well, good. Well, you all have been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. Today, we have been talking with Jill Miller, co-founder of TuneUp Fitness Worldwide. And Jill, we are so grateful to you for taking the time to come on the Bendy Bodies podcast and share your expertise with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of bendy bodies with the hypermobility md where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other artistic athletes please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player remember to subscribe so you won't miss future episodes be sure to subscribe to the bendy bodies youtube channel as well thank you for helping us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions Visit our website, www.bendybodies.org, for more information. For a limited time, you could win an autographed copy of the popular textbook, Disjointed, Navigating the Diagnosis and Management of Hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and Hypermobility Spectrum Disorders, just by sharing what you love about the Bendy Bodies podcast. On Instagram, tag us at Bendy Bodies, and on Facebook at Bendy Bodies Podcast. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the co-hosts and their guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. The thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. This podcast is intended for general education only and does not constitute medical advice. Your own individual situation may vary. Do not make any changes without first seeking your own individual care from your physician. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast. This episode of the Bendy Bodies Podcast was brought to you by Bowerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.